Good morning, good afternoon, and good evening to you all. This is the Business Day Spotlight, your destination for African business made simple. My name is Muriwa Gavaza, and for today, uh, we do get into a conversation, um, you know, around uh, what's going on out there in the world of uh, fintech, uh, that is uh, financial technology. It is a theme that uh, we have, uh, you know, taken quite a bit of time to focus on, um, you know, on this platform over the years. Uh, but, you know, in the in the realm of uh, you know investments and uh, you know startups and capital raises that's also been one of those things and last week we actually had you know some big news um, we heard that uh, peach payments um, finalized a a huge capital raise that was for 30 million dollars or roughly 580 um, you know million rand depending on um, you know what exchange rate table you are looking at um, you know it's usually big better to just quote it in the euro amount or the dollar amount so 30 million dollars or 29 million euros uh, that is uh, the capital raise probably one of the largest uh, you know so far this year and um as we've done with, uh, you know, some of the previous capital raises that have come through, I think uh, we had the team from Planet 42, we had the team from Naked, you know, when they had their raises earlier in the year. It's always great to get the founders to then understand, you know, what's actually happening in the market, what is the state um, of venture capital at the moment, and what is the plans, you know, for all this new uh, liquidity that has come into the business. So for today, we are joined by Raul Jain, is a uh, co-founder and uh, CEO um, of uh, Peach Payments. And we're going to be getting some insight, um, you know, into what's actually going on out there. Um, the definition that we have is that Peach is the second largest online payment gateway, um, you know, in South Africa. And hopefully we can understand what that actually means. So Raul, greetings to you today. Thank you, Budiva, and thank you for having me here and being able to share a bit about Peach and, you know, what we've been up to and where do we take the story. So when it comes to Peach, uh, you know, my understanding is the fact that you guys have been uh, in business uh, for a number of, uh, what you call this, for a number of years, um, you know, since about 2012, so just over um, a decade, you know, in terms of uh, operating. We call you guys a payments gateway. And, um, you know, from the, from what, you know, some of us know, when I think of a payments gateway, I'm thinking of, you know, being on an online shop, you know, going to checkout, and then, you know, you have all the various, you know, options that then come out, you know, how do you want to pay? And, you know, those are the, you know, those are the payments gateways. That is, the, you know, the frame of reference that I have. But maybe you could give us a little bit more, you know, color just around what Peach Payment is and what uh, what it is that you guys do. Absolutely. Um, and you're spot on, you know, like your definition and your perception is absolutely spot on. Um, what Peach does and, you know, is that we enable businesses to transact digitally. Now, one use case of that is a consumer such as yourself going online, wanting to buy you know, clothes from a merchant, an online business, and you need to pay them. So another use case is marketplaces or gig economy apps need to pay vendors, suppliers, participants in their 
marketplaces. So as long as a business needs to transact digitally, Peach provides a product or a service that enables them to do this. Um, <clears throat> you know, what's interesting for us and why do we care about this is fundamentally we do believe that you know, society moves forward with economic engagement. And what is economic engagement? It's, it's, it's businesses and consumers, it's peer-to-peer, -peer, it's government to citizen, citizen to government. And at the heart of all of this is some form of a transaction. And for, for Peach is how do we enable or how do we power that transaction, right? Because then we can play our part in helping society move forward. And, and I think that's really where, you know, that's how we think about what we do is how do we solve these problems for businesses and enable them to transact better with whoever they want to. It could be another business. It could be another consumer. It could be the government. How do we enable that? All right. So when it comes to something like that, one of the biggest curiosities that I've had about Peach is what makes people start such a thing back in 2012? Like, what are you seeing at that time? Because obviously today, right, the use case is, you know, um, the use case is completely, I'm going to call it uh, completely understood. It's automatic. People are interacting with payment gateways all the time. But please give me a view of what the world is looking like um, in 2012 you know, I, I'm, I'm possibly revealing my age, but I was, I was, I was in the earlier years of my university careers. We were, you know, living our best lives, you know, on the internet. So the internet was a thing. I don't know whether e-commerce was as big as it is today, but certainly internet use was, you know, big at the time. So what are you seeing? What's making you say, okay, we need to get into the payments gateway space? Yeah, you know, 2012, 2013, these were actually pretty fundamental years if you think about digital commerce, e-commerce, and the growth of it. Um, you know, I moved to Cape Town from Boston. I was living there for a couple of years. So I was quite used to uh, Amazon, right? I, I ordered everything from toothpaste to groceries on Amazon, and it would just be magically delivered to my apartment in Boston. And I was working in strategy consulting, and there you work long hours. So I really didn't have the time to go out during the week, figure out, you know, these day-to-day uh, -day purchases that I still need to make. So, so that convenience that drives, you know, or the use case of convenience, which is actually the most addictive use case from a consumer's perspective, was really what, uh, what was still there in our head. Then we looked at Africa and we said, you know what, it's not that there aren't entrepreneurs in Africa. It's not that there isn't consumer demand in Africa. I mean, and it's not that here we don't care about convenience. It's, it's the use case, actually, and the demand is there. But businesses in Africa don't have access to the same tools and systems and services that a business in the U.S. or in Western Europe had access to at that time. So, you know, Stripe had, almost, had, had already become a big thing. Braintree Payments was another well-established player by then. And the thinking we had was, you know, in well-saturated developed markets, if there's room for a player like Stripe or Braintree to come in and, you know, solve a problem, then Africa is a white space for us. So you'll be surprised. Actually, back then, there were still 10 different gateways in South Africa, right? So if, if I give you a flashback, 
PayU, BCS, PayGate, PayFast, uh, PayThrough. There were quite a number of these players that were already present in South Africa. But if you looked at the product or the service that they were offering businesses, there was almost complacency in the market, right? It's like, hey, I'm going to deliver a bad product. I'm going to deliver a bad service. And yeah, you just have to accept it. So I think when we looked at the space, we said, actually, we're not trying to create a new market, but we're trying to offer a better alternative, a fresher alternative. So yes, we were a bit early for our time. Right. And what's one of the biggest challenges we've had is how do we stay relevant for such a long period of time, a decade? I mean, most startups come and go over a year or two years. And I think what we've been able to do is to maintain relevance and continue to build up, even though we started a bit too early, in my view. Right. But I think it's given us certain advantages. One of the things, uh, uh, you know, maybe to crystallize it now is to say, in 2023, you know, given the fact that we now have a view of what you're looking at in 2012 and you've made this decision to get into the market and you've come up with a strategy, you know, I'm guessing that your your, your time as a as a consultant, you know, becomes valuable now. Um, I always I always joke to my I always joke um, to some of the people that I interact with because um, I keep my ear quite to the ground when it comes to startups in South Africa. Um, and one of the things that I have noticed is that almost everyone that I encounter who has who is a startup founder coming out of the management consulting space uh, is able to achieve scale faster than others because uh, people from the consulting and management consulting space, for some reason, you guys don't get into business to start a small business. You guys get into business to start. <laughs> you guys get into business to to, to build a machine, um, a what you call this a scale a scale enterprise. Yeah, it's just one of those attributes that I have. Uh, you know, uh, one of those attributes that I have found. Um, you know, I just think of. Uh, you know, I just think of a couple of startups, Masodi Organics, uh, the team at Yoko. All those people are coming out of, uh, you, you know, the con uh, management consulting space. Yeah, uh, exactly. You look like you want to say something. Yeah. No, I don't want to, I'm not trying to sell management consulting here. That's not my job anymore. But I think, uh, you know, what management consulting does give you is, uh, is the opportunity and the exposure to a broad variety of industries. Um, it forces you to think in a structured, uh, logical, problem-solving way. And, you know, your context switching, like you could be on a four-week pro project or a six-month project, and you're constantly context switching. So as a, like what, what worked for me was that it gave me such a broad experience across, you know, I worked in healthcare post-merger integrations to defining marketing strategy, e-commerce strategy for a 400 store, big and tall men's apparel retailer to ancillary revenue streams for airlines. Now, airlines from clothing retail to healthcare are three worlds apart, but the principles you apply, the, the framework or the way of thinking to solve the problem that you've been brought in to solve is the same. So I think that for me was a massive advantage, right? Is having the resilience or having the 
thinking. And then, yes, you know, in management consulting, you're making enough money. So you're not here to make just enough money. You want to be big. So I do think that the ambition also is big when you start off coming up. So, so I do think it's all about exposure. And I was fortunate that I had the opportunities to, to build that. And, and for us, you know, what, what you'll also see is out of successful startups, there are other entrepreneurs that are born. Yeah, so we keep hearing the words, the PayPal mafia or the, you know, the Stripe mafia or, you know, because these are team members that joined these high growth scale ups and then use that experience and exposure to move on to do something else. And, and it's fundamentally something we believed at Peach is how do we make sure that, you know, we create the best opportunities for our team members. And it's okay if someone wants to leave because, you know, that's nature. That's that's evolution of an individual team member's career. So how do then I create ambassadors, right? That wherever they go, whatever they do, they think of Peach as their preferred partner. So I think if we can create that ecosystem, if we can foster and create talent through our teams, that then goes out and uses that exposure and that opportunity that I had in management consulting, I, you know, then we start to build that ecosystem out there. So it's, it's um, management consulting is, is actually a pretty interesting space. Yes, you, you know, the joke is they hire one person, pay you for two people and make you work for three, right? <laughs> <laughs> well, it certainly does seem that uh, you know that work for for three people has been you know quite valuable, and you know one would argue that uh, you're not reaping the rewards, um, you know, of uh, you know that type of structured thinking. Um, so I do find it you know quite interesting, and and I'm glad that I'm you know having yeah this conversation with you so that you can, I, I guess, in a way. Um, can I call it legitimize this thought that I've been having, this observation, um, you know, that yeah. I've uh, that I've been making, you know, having encountered a number of uh, a number of uh, founders, you know, over the years. Uh, but one of the things that I now want to move on is to say, okay, fine, we're now in 2023. For someone that uh, can't think of peach, you know, off the top of their heads. Because a lot of the time when it comes to B2B companies, um, you may not know the, the, the brand itself, but you may know, you yeah. know a consumer-facing you know, name or a consumer-facing uh, you know, platform or technology. What are some of the you know, technologies or you know, platforms or um, you know, brands or names that people do yeah. encounter on a daily basis? Um, you know, when they're going about making payments and all of that stuff that they may not know are actually, you know, peach businesses. Customers, or, yeah, you know, absolutely. And, you know, I, I like to say at this, and over 10, it's 10 years of building this up, right? So, but today, if you shop online or you do any sort of digital transaction in South Africa, most likely you pay with us. Um, so some of the businesses and partners that, you know, we've had the fortune of working with include um, rain which is a mobile network so when you buy a sim card to when you consume data you know we we help um, and work with them one day only for any sort of you know those deals that they push out so we do the payments for them we've been working with zando since 2014 so it's that's been a long association um 
pick and pay ASAP. So, you know, actually COVID was a very interesting period for us because I still remember this vividly, March 2020. We, uh, we were, you know, the president announced the first uh, lockdown, I think 26th of March, the lockdown started. And there was general panic in the world, right? Like there was like, hey, what do we do? What's going to happen to business? And uh, we work with businesses on almost every category. So whether you're booking a restaurant to booking flights to consuming digital content to, you know, ordering groceries or um, buying wine online, we literally are in almost every business category. So what we saw, and this was very interesting for us as a business, is we were wondering that, hey, you know what, digital's going to crash and the world's going to burn and what's going to happen. And in the first six weeks of hard lockdown, our teams were working insanely hard because suddenly you couldn't go to the store, you couldn't move out of your house, but you still needed products and services. I do remember it very clearly, winter was about to start in South Africa and you couldn't buy warm clothes because now every physical retail store was shut. So we saw some of our online retailers suddenly see a spike in online sales because consumers were like, hey, one day this lockdown is going to open and at least I can get warm clothes. Or the grocery delivery apps really shot up. ISPs that we used to work with shot up. And then travel went down 96% in that segment. So for us, we actually saw a graph. We built a graph that saw the complete diametric opposite reaction of COVID in different industries. And what that meant for Peach as a business is we actually started growing because, yes, some of our merchants were hurting, but some of our merchants were winning like never before. So for Peach, we think of ourselves as an infrastructure player. We say, hey, we are building the highways on which you can then build your business. So whether you're doing buy now, pay later here, whether you're doing, you know, you're booking a restaurant through Dine Plan, we are powering all of these payments actually in South Africa. So to your point, one challenge we've had is this obscurity. We've never been in the limelight. There, you know, half the people don't know the Peach brand. And as mm. we start to help a lot more in the SME space, we've been forced out of our comfort zone to advertise, to build a brand, to create awareness. And it's been an interesting um, experience, right? So, and something we weren't used to. We were very used to being behind the scenes, this unknown entity that's actually helping power most of e-commerce in South Africa. Mm. And mm. from there to pushing ourselves out there. Um, yeah, it's been, it's been a learning experience for us as well. Mm. Yeah, because the reason I asked that question is simply because um, you can imagine, you know, in, in, for, for a millennial like myself, there's a lot of online shopping, you know, that's actually happening. And because I'm also interacting with a lot of the um, fintech operators, I usually take note of where I see their brands. And But when it comes to Peach, I'm like, guys, okay. <laughs> I understand that Peach is powering these things, but I am yet to maybe, and sometimes I'm like, is it is it ignorance or what's going on? Because I'm yet to actually go to a checkout and actually see something yeah. that actually, you know, says Peach. And I always wondered if that was a deliberate thing or whether you felt that it was just better to make sure that um, the experience is seamless for, for customers because... 
They often say that the best technology is, you know, the technology that you don't even know it's there. It just works. Absolutely. And, I, and it was a conscious decision on our part, right? One of the advantages we offered larger businesses over the past decade has been this, this seamless user experience, right? So think about your own ex shopping experience. You go to a brand, your trust as a consumer is with that brand. Right. If I now introduced a new brand in the process of you making a purchase, you're then wondering, oh, who's these guys? Peach is is my money safe? Is it you know? Is my pay today okay? We have the benefit of credibility that we that's been lent to us from these brands, and now I can build a brand for Peach as well. But your inherent trust as a user, as a consumer, is with the product or service that you're buying. So for Peach, it was incredibly important to amplify and enable that brand and trust and not try to take your attention away from the brand. So this is why, you know, I remember when it was um, in 2017, 18, when Spree was still around, we did all the big fashion apparel retailers. So we did Runway Sale, we did Spree, we did Zando. The only one we didn't do was Superbulist. And there were these, these were the four largest online fashion retailers in South Africa. Three out of four were using us. And that also worked because we enabled each of them in their own unique way to build that journey, to build that experience with you as a consumer. So, yes, it was a very deliberate decision. What we've learned now is as you try to enable SMEs and you try to build that, you actually now need to lend your credibility back to them. Because you as a consumer are saying, hey, who, who is this brand? I've never heard of them. Okay, Peach is working with them. Maybe let me go purchase. So, so the next phase for us is how do we continue to build that consumer trust? How do we make sure that you understand that we are there not just for the business, but indirectly also there to make sure that the ecosystem is safe? And that now we start lending our credibility to the SMEs and say, you know what, let's us help you build the brand because we got that help earlier. And I like the fact that you also bring up uh, the fact that you had all those big fashion retailers at some point, but also at the same time, you're also servicing, um, you know, the SMEs. Yeah. Um, are you able to give us a sense of what that balance looks like? Because a lot of the time when people get into business, they're chasing, you know, you're chasing corporates, yeah. you know, you, because you think those are the people that have all the money and, you know, these are the whales, let's go after them. But maybe, you know, you could give us a little bit of color just around what the reality looks like of servicing corporates versus servicing the SME space. Yeah, I think we never consciously chose one or the other. It was truly based on demand. Right. Just to give you a sense, we started in 20, we really started selling in 2013. Until 2019, December, we never spent a dollar on marketing. We didn't even have a person for marketing in Peach. All we would do is just answer the phone and people were contacting us for sales. But that takes you to a certain level of business. So what happened is we got contacted across the board from large corporates to SMEs. And some of those SMEs five years ago have become large businesses today, right? So what's happened is our split, we're still stronger in the medium and large space because, you know, in South Africa, those were the businesses that were online at that time. 
you know, Shopify wasn't as easily available. There was no Wix. WordPress was still a bit hard to work with. So the tools available to SMEs beyond just payments hadn't evolved to make it as easy as it is today to set up and go online. So by, you know, through that naturally and inherently, our merchants are the largest people in South Africa, but there's a very big intentional focus towards SMEs. I'll give you an example, Sweep South, right? When Alan and Aisha started Sweep South, we, we, we were there with them as part of that journey from day one until today. And now it's a massive business, right? But we've been there through every single step of that journey with them. You know, another interesting business was Warm Drop. You know, there was this wave, wave of on-demand delivery. So everyone from pickup to Warm Drop to were all using us. Warm Drop grew and now was acquired by Macro, right? Um, similarly, OneCart, which was a grocery delivery pioneer, um, we were with them from day one. Then they grew, and now they were also acquired by Macro. So at that time, we were doing Willie's Dash. We were doing Pick and Pay ASAP. We did three of the four grocery delivery apps. So we don't think of it that, oh, you're an SME or you're an enterprise, and oh, we're going to chase on the enterprise. Actually, our experience is that SMEs can grow up to become an enterprise. So we got to be everywhere. We, we got to enable that SME to grow up to become the next enterprise because that's the only way we're going to solve a jobs crisis or create, you know, healthy economy over here, frankly. And in that uh, in that mission to help the economy, we do have to talk about um, you know whether you're servicing SMEs or whether you're servicing uh, you know the corporate sector. You need to be keeping the lights on, and you need to be scaling you know yeah. this business over um, you know that decade uh, of time. Right now, the reason we're talking is because you guys have closed that uh, thirty million dollar you know, funding round. Uh, but maybe you could take us through what your funding, you know, journey has been. Um, and also, you know, I guess somewhere along the line, how you how you managed to get um, a firm like Apis to, you know, believe so much in you guys. Yeah. You know, uh, Mudiba, what's very interesting is when we started in 2013, there was no venture capital in Africa. I mean, it was incredibly hard. If you raised $100,000, you were the most, you raised the highest round in the country, right? And so we, we grew up in a time where capital was not easily available. So actually, really, we haven't raised a lot of money in our lifetime. And that's one of the other reasons we've not been in the news so much. So, you know, today, Peach is 150 people business spread in three countries. And until April of this year, we had only raised three and a half million dollars in our lifetime. So for us, we we built a business in a in a constraints-driven environment, which was great because we built it in the right way. And I think that's what a investor like Apis saw is there's inherent sustainability. This is not the 2020-2021 boom of fintech. You know, capital has dried up around the world. VCs are incredibly um, specific about who they're investing in. And if you're a solid business, there's still a lot of money out there for you, right? So yes, venture capital has dried up, but for the right businesses, there's still a lot of money out there. The choice we had to make over the past year was we can continue to grow organically and that takes us, you know, incrementally one plus one is two, two plus one is three, two plus, you know, we grow linearly. But if we 
see this opportunity that's in front of us. We have an opportunity to grow exponentially and that requires capital. So, you know, why did we raise? Because we want to accelerate our growth. It's not because we would be out of business the next day if we don't raise, right? It was saying, hey, we've done so well for now, but we could make this even bigger. And I think with that ambition, we, we went out fundraising. And for us, APIS worked out. It's, you know, it's APIS, it's Enza Capital. We've also got Alan Gray as an investor. We've got Umkati Vetu. So people have backed us in different points of our journey. And, you know, we're very grateful to our investors um, because we want to build something that's going to be around 20 years from now, 30 years from now, not just for the next three years. Are you comfortable to share? <clears throat> you don't have to tell us how much of the business that they've taken, you know, because I know that, you know, people have sensitivities around valuations and all that stuff. But the structure of the funding, that $30 million, yeah. is it debt? Is it equity? Like, yeah. well, what's there? Because I feel like that's the detail that, uh, you know, hadn't been, you know, fully communicated, at least on our side. Absolutely. Happy to share. I mean, it's all equity. There is no debt capital involved in there. Um, you know, two-thirds of it is fresh money into the business um, that allows, you know, that's new shares that the investor's buying. And we've also had investors who've backed us for different various time periods over the past 10 years. So in a VC space, your typical fund life is five to seven years, right? So at every five, seven year interval, VCs are also starting to look for returns. So what we were able to do with APIS is also create those return opportunities for some of our very early investors. So, so part of the capital was also used to buy shares from other shareholders in the business. So, so for us, you know, it's all capital that's majority of it is going into the company to be invested to grow this business. What does the, I like to ask this question around what does the, 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 the capital raising space look like right now? Um, some people say it's very tough. Um, you know, but in certain instances, every once in a while, we come across the likes of a peach that, you know, is, you know, the recipient of a big check. And I say big check within the context of South Africa, yeah. you know, simply because when you look at uh, the, U the U.S. market, for example, you know, some of the checks that are being written in, on, uh, on that side of the ocean are, you know, astronomical. So Yeah, and I think, um, when you, I think, you know, for founders out there, it's very important to understand a couple of things. Like funding is not, a sign, it's not the end goal, right? It's just to enable building a business. So it's not the, it's you're not successful if you've raised money. It's only actually now the pressure starts. Now you got to deliver on all those promises that you made in those fancy Excel sheets to the investors. So one is that. The second is the check size really depends on a business. So the fact that we raised thirty million actually is irrelevant in in the broader sense because not every business can go out and say, oh, now I need to raise fifty or I need to raise sixty. It's very tailored to what is the opportunity, what does it require to win in that opportunity, and what are the needs of your business. For us, we did not need a lot of capital to plug holes in our cash flow, right? It was a fairly sustainable business. For us, it was there's a massive opportunity out there. How can we accelerate it? So we were actually pushed a little bit to take on a bit more money than we originally set out taking, right? And, but because the investors were able to show to us that, guys, there's a massive opportunity. 
you will need this capital for the next two years if you really want to achieve what you think and your ambition is. So for any founder out there, I think you have to understand your business and say, if $3 million is enough for you to hit your next milestone, then that's what you should be raising. Right? Equity is the most expensive form of capital, frankly, out there for, an, for a founder, for a shareholder. Debt is easier because then you can repay it, you're not diluting equity. But equity is the most expensive form of capital. I, I would encourage people to be careful about what they're raising, for what purpose, and how they use it. Because at the end of the day, this is all paper gains. No matter what valuation I raised at or how much money we raised, these are paper gains. At some point, when someone needs to buy you or you want to list, then everything is open, out in the open. And then the true value of the business will be reflected. Mm-hmm. Right? So, so I think just that, that's something I learned over the few past years when it came to fundraising. Um, I think the environment is challenging. There's no doubt about that. But like I said, for good businesses, there's still a lot of capital out there. What's, ha- what's changed is investors have become a bit more discerning about who are they investing in. Yeah, that certainly makes, uh, you know, certainly makes sense, you know, simply to say that you should be raising at whatever your level is, you know, as opposed to trying to chase the biggest checks. Because um, in honesty, it sometimes feels like... Uh, some startups are literally in the business of raising capital as opposed to, you know, focusing on uh, on their core business. You know, if I'm to speak, yeah. um, you know, frankly, um, you know, just around, you know, some of what we're seeing. So let's talk then, you know, as we're rounding up, Raul, um, for today to say you've got the money. We understand the history. Let's peer a little bit into the crystal ball and, yeah. you know, to say where does the money go? And maybe in where does the money go, maybe you could also just give us some insight into, I guess, some of the structures, some of the things that do take up, you know, um, uh, what you call this, some of the things that do draw on capital. Absolutely. You know, I can imagine that your technology stack probably takes up a fair bit of uh, a fair bit of money. Yeah. Um, people, you know, that type of thing. But, yeah, well, well, what's happening on that front and what are we looking to do? Yeah, you know, and the other one big thing I've learned is it takes money to make money, right? And I think, unfortunately, this is the vicious cycle that, you know, a lot of entrepreneurs try to break is it takes money to make money. So for us from, you know, where do we go as Peach? Let me give you some context. If you take South Africa today, South Africa is a fairly well-developed market, at least in on the continent, from a digital commerce perspective. But even in South Africa, my expectation is that online retail, just if I'm talking of retail, is about 3-ish percent of total retail in South Africa. In the US, this is between 16 and 20%, right? So, So for us, the massive upside that exists in the markets that we already operate in is still very, very huge, right? So, if, so we are today in South Africa, we're in Kenya, we're in Mauritius. So a large part of our focus still remains in building a further leadership position, entrenching ourselves better and growing in the markets that we operate in. Then at the same time, Africa is not one market, not yet. I mean, let's see what happens over the future. But it's 54 different countries with 54 different jurisdictions and regulatory environments. 
So it's quite a capital intensive process. If you want to go to a new country, you have to set up an entity, you have to apply for licenses. Sometimes there are different requirements from local regulators to say, hey, you need to have this much capital in your local entity to even apply for a license. And I think that held us back over the past few years. So let's take an example of you know, Ghana. To open an entity, and I'm not sure if this has changed, but last I looked there was to open an entity that you own 100%, you have to provide half a million dollars in capital, right? So for us, those were real hurdles to expansion. So part of the capital goes into, I'm not saying that we're going to Ghana, but we're still figuring out which new countries we expand to, but there will be one or two more countries that we will go to over the next you know, year or so. And the other, the third big area of investment for us is around solving more problems for our merchants. So, you know, as I gave you an example, so today a merchant may be accepting payments from consumers, will be paying out to uh, suppliers, vendors. So we do pay-ins, we do payouts. How do we now provide data insights? How do we provide reconciliation? How do we provide um, lending? How do we provide other tools and services that are complementary to what we do as a business, but solve a new problem for our merchants? Because at the end of the day, we want them to focus on what their core businesses, which is building the product and service and selling it and not worry about payments behind the scene. So, you know, to build a new product, to your point, you have to invest in people. So today, Peach's biggest asset is people. That's really what we invest in, is hiring, retaining, and growing our people, right? So for us, if you want to build a new product, we have to invest in a whole new team. That means we got to pay salaries six months upfront before that product even hits the market and starts to generate revenue. So this investment goes towards growth along these pillars, very honestly. And then we keep prioritizing almost on a quarterly basis and saying, hey, what's do we need to change course? So it's very hard for me to put a stake in the ground and say, you know what, we'll be in these two countries because we haven't decided that yet. We're still making that choice. We know a few products that we want to build. There's new things we are launching every day, but we want to increase our pace of innovation. And that requires us to invest in people. So it has been a, you know, really great discussion, you know, talking to Raul uh, as he articulates, um, you know, the story of Peach Payments. I've, I've actually learned quite a bit, um, you know, just around what it takes to get a business to this point over, you know, the course of about a decade. Some of the big takeaways, you know, from today is simply to say that um, the last decade has presented a huge opportunity, you know, in the world of e-commerce, you know, in South Africa. You don't always need to be the person who's selling online. Uh, there's huge opportunity in supporting the people that are doing business, you know, online and making, um, you know, some of those, uh, you know, making some of those um, options as seamless you know as possible and also at the same time you know how do you ensure that people have a good experience um you know when they are making you know some of those payments online fintech continues to be a huge driver when it comes to investment interest uh, but raul warns against just going out and you know raising money um they had actually only raised up about three million dollars before you know this specific round and he says that we are in a good place as a business uh but 
you know what is happening here is simply to say we are looking for ways to accelerate you know our growth um you know as opposed to you know plugging holes um you know in a balance sheet um and all of that we also spent quite a bit of time for I found this interesting you know now that uh, I, I'm, I'm having some of these chats now I'm thinking to myself perhaps I should have started out in management <laughs> consulting <laughs> you know perhaps would be having you know different conversations you know from uh, perhaps would be having different conversations and it is a world that I'm you know quite interested in and clearly um, you know it does give you you know some certain tools yeah. uh, you know that you can take, um, you know, into various industries. So I think if you are a founder or an aspiring founder, uh, there are some principles that uh, you could possibly learn from, you know, when it comes to the world, um, you know, of uh, management consulting. So uh, that's been it. It has been, you know, a very fascinating one. Uh, one of the things that I'm waiting to see, you know, going forward, um, you know, because deliberately, you know, Peach has gone, um, you know, sort of working in the background from a branding point of view how they're going to be positioning themselves because we did spend quite a bit of time talking about that so i wait to see uh what mr jane and his team are going to be doing um you know from that point of view especially as they move you know into different markets and expand yeah um you know their footprint you know across africa so that's been it very fascinating very informative and also you know quite um you know uh i'd say inspiring you know to hear some of these stories uh with that was us we were in conversation with raul jane who is co-founder and ceo over at peach payments they are a leading payments gateway in south africa raul thank you so much for being with us today Mariva, it's been a pleasure and thank you so much for inviting me and having me And that's been it for this edition of the Business Day Spotlight. Remember that you can find our latest podcasts on Business Live. That's under the podcast Business Day Spotlight tab on Twitter. We're hashtag BD Spotlight. And remember that you can review and subscribe for free on iono.fm, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Pocket Casts, or wherever you choose to get your pods casted. I've been Mudio Gavaza of the Business Day and Financial Mail. And this has been another edition of the Business Day Spotlight, which is a multimedia live production. So from us, and the rest of the team. It is a good evening, good afternoon, and good morning.